This episode of Lights Up contains mature language. Lights up on a park bench. Lights up on a deck. Lights up. 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 A podcast by the Ensemble Theater of Chattanooga. Lights up on a construction site for a new high school. Owen and Brad, landscapers, grab pansies out of a wheelbarrow and place them strategically for planting. So, who are you going to vote for? Bugs Bunny. No, seriously. I am serious. Now, shut up. They have a space for writing candidates on the ballot. I'm going to write in Bugs Bunny. You're going to vote for Bugs Bunny for President of the United States? Yes. Bugs Bunny? Yes, I'm going to vote for Bugs Bunny. Why? I like Bugs Bunny. I always have. Oh, well, have you considered uh, Foghorn Leghorn or Daffy Duck? (laughs) Daffy Duck for president. Get real. (laughs) So who are you really voting for? Bugs Bunny. All right. All right, Brad. I get it. You don't want to tell me. I respect that. I'm telling you. I'm voting for Bugs Bunny. Oh, come on. No, you're not. Yes, I am. You're voting for Bugs Bunny. Yes, Owen. Oh, so you want to throw your vote away? I'm not throwing it away. I believe in Bugs Bunny. I think he'd make a great president. He's brash. He's smart. He's self-assured. He knows how to get things done. And in the end, he sure as hell knows how to win a conflict. Bugs Bunny can't actually be our president, Brad. Why not? He's not a person. He's a rabbit. So? I don't think there's a law that says no rabbits. All right. But let's say, let's just say people all over America go batshit crazy and pencil in Bugs Bunny and Bugs Bunny wins. What would happen? Bugs Bunny would be president. Okay. At the inauguration, who steps up to accept the presidency? Bugs Bunny. He's a cartoon, man. So? He's not flesh and blood. Pixar can make things look pretty real. But the government can't put up a movie screen at the president's inauguration. Why not? They could put a screen up there or or a TV. A TV might be easier. So, everywhere President Bugs Bunny goes, there's a TV. Why not? People love to watch television in this country. So they just wheel a TV around in the Oval Office, the White House lawn, Air Force One. Sure. It's not hard. So when the president visits steel workers or uh, goes to an orphanage, in comes a TV. Sounds good to me. So our president will be a television. No. Our president will be Bugs Bunny on a television. How's he going to speak to the press or give a State of the Union address or go to a summit meeting? Bugs Bunny can't actually talk. Have you never seen a Bugs Bunny? He's just speaking from lines on a script. Isn't that what all presidents do? Yeah, but Bugs Bunny's entire persona is an illusion created by a team of people behind the scenes. Uh Uh-huh. Interesting. You vote for Bugs Bunny, you're saying fuck you to the whole political system. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. No, I'm not. The political system in this country is one in which we can vote for whomever we choose, right? 
But if you vote for someone who has no chance of winning, you are essentially voting for no one. You mean like Ron Paul or or Newt Gingrich or Rick Perry or Michelle Bachman? Ron Paul is not Bugs Bunny. No, he looks more like Wile E. Coyote. <sighs> but you get my point, don't you? Absolutely not. I think if I can get the word out, Bugs Bunny can make a serious run. Really? So what does Bugs Bunny stand on some of the major issues? I don't know, but I know this. Bugs Bunny is not a socialist. Neither is Barack Obama. Yeah, but a lot of people think he is. No one thinks Bugs Bunny is a socialist. This is stupid. Bugs Bunny is not a Muslim either. Obama is not a Muslim. But some people think he is. No one thinks Bugs Bunny is a Muslim. Right. A lot of people thought Bush was a moron. No one thinks Bugs Bunny is a moron. You're serious about all this, aren't you? Yes. What happened to you? You used to care. Did I? Your vote matters, Brad. Does it? Let's do a recap. Presidents in my lifetime. Lyndon Johnson. Let's see, there was this little thing called the Vietnam War. Nixon, Watergate, only presidents in our history to resign. Gerald Ford took over, but only because of Nixon, whom he pardoned. Plus, Ford was only vice president because Spiro Agnew also resigned, and he did so for tax evasion and money laundering. Jimmy Carter, a decent man, but he totally bungled the Iran hostage situation. Reagan, the 80s, prosperity, wealth, and then there's the Ira-Contra scandal, where we were selling arms to terrorists and then using that money to fund other terrorists. Then came the first Bush, who pardoned a slew of people convicted of the Ira-Contra affair and then bombed Iraq to protect our Saudi oil. Clinton, sleazy as the day is long. The second Bush, can you say Iraq and weapons of mass destruction? Iran, Iraq, Iran, Iraq. Notice a pattern. Now, we have a guy who is the most despised president of all time. We're as divided as we've ever been. If my vote counts in all that, count me out. I am voting for Bugs Bunny. Everyone likes Bugs Bunny. Bugs Bunny crosses party lines. Voting for Bugs Bunny says you've given up. Who cares if I've given up? My life has never been affected by who's in office anyways. Well, lucky you. Hey, if there's a candidate who will make me a better guitar player, if there's a candidate who will make me pass these kidney stones, if there's a candidate who will make my wife be nicer to me, if, if there's a candidate who will get my father to remember who I am when I go into his bedroom, if there's a candidate who will bring back my dead son, then I will fucking vote for him. Okay? Until then, I don't give a shit. I'm sorry. I am just trying to get through the day. You know what I'm saying, Owen? Yeah. They work. Owen tries to restore normalcy. Going to be hot today. Probably. How are the guys doing at the baseball field? Good. The sod came in an hour ago. Did Carlos and Derek finish the planter boxes in front of the gymnasium last night? Yeah. 
you know what the school's mascot is going to be? No, I I don't. Hey, let's break off early for lunch. What do you say? Owen removes his gloves, tosses them in the wheelbarrow. The pansies will be here when we get back. Come on. Owen starts out. He stops when he sees Brad isn't following him. We have 40 bets to do, Brad. We're not going to finish it all today. Hey, I'll take you to that sandwich place you like, and you can get that d- disgusting meatball concoction you love. Brad stops. He takes a long look around. My son would have gone to this high school. Like your daughter will. Yeah. Come on, Brad. You know, my little boy always loved Bugs Bunny. Owen comes over to Brad, puts his arm around his shoulders like a good friend. Brad, you know what I think? I think you should vote for Bugs Bunny. (laughs) Come on, let's get some lunch. (sighs) Brad removes his gloves, puts them in the wheelbarrow. They exit. Lights fade. Hey, everybody. It's Gary, the producer for Lights Up, Ensemble Theater of Chattanooga's new podcast for playwrights, performers, and patrons of theater. I wanted to see if you've heard about Anchor. Anchor, the platform that's hosting our podcast. If you haven't heard about Anchor yet, well, I am happy to be the first to tell you about it. It is free. F-R-E-E. That's right, free. Um, There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your computer uh, or your phone. And Anchor will distribute the podcast that you create so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever else you get your podcasts from. And you know what else? It doesn't cost you anything, but you can make money from your podcast, and you don't even have to have a minimum listenership. That's right. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So do like we did. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. That's anchor, A-N-C-H-O-R, or anchor, A-N-C-H-O-R.fm to get started and create your podcast. All right, so we just heard Bugs Bunny by Mark Cornell. And if this is your first time tuning in, my name is Christy Gallo. I am a producer with the Ensemble Theater of Chattanooga. And I am Dana Colgiovanni. I have been an actor and a longtime friend and supporter of the Ensemble Theater of Chattanooga. So happy to co-host here with Christy. And we are joined by playwright Mark Cornell. Mark, where are you joining us from? Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Awesome. How's the weather, weather. there? <laughs> uh, tonight it's it's been a little it's been a little rainy actually, but uh, but we've had a great fall. Saturday was my birthday, and it was the first time I left the city. And uh, a couple people in my quarantine pod um, took me for a picnic, an apple picking, and I finally got to see the leaves change. And that oh, was nice. Like- so we did just listen to Eric Red Wyatt. He read the role of Owen, and Joel Sanchez Avantes, who read the role of Brad. 
Um, so give us a little background on this piece, Mark, that you, when did you write this? Um, you know, how, how long have you been a playwright? Give us a little bit of info on you for our listeners. I guess I've been a playwright for about 25 years. Um, I went to graduate school at UCLA for, for playwriting, which was a great experience uh, for me. I, I dabbled in, in screenplay stuff for a while. I kind of put theater aside, but um, when we moved here to Chapel Hill about 15 years ago, I, I got involved in the local theater scene and just got more involved with writing plays again. Um, so, and this play, um, you know, I, ne I was not in my life, I, I would not say I've been a, a political person. Um, you know, the, the things that were important to me um, were, were not always political. So, so the play um, grew out of Obama's second uh, uh, second term, so right before that election, um, and you know I I, I was uh, busy being a, a father and husband, um, thinking about the important things of life, um, and people had been so negative about Obama. Um, I have a backstory about Obama if you want to hear it, but um, I, I knew Barack Obama in Chicago. Um, wow. We used, yeah, we used we to hear that. <laughs> okay. We used to play basketball together. So um, so there was just hatred towards this, this man. And I was starting to kind of wake up to politics a, a little bit. Um, but, but I've always been a guy, um, you know, that thought, oh, what, how does this affect me? Um, you know, the, the important things to me are family and, and love and, and I, I um, you know, as the play talks about a death, you know, uh, my child back, what good is it to me? And, and he has clearly suffered a tremendous loss. But so the play just wanted to explore, you know, someone who's indifferent to the political process because he's been deeply affected by something personal that politics can't change it it takes this turn that i really love it i spoke with dana and dana you put beautiful words to this when we were speaking earlier um but it takes this turn from being a a, a little bit more of a political piece to um really focusing on on humanizing and um dana i think the words that you you put were you know politics serving the everyday person um and so what was the what was the inspiration behind diving into brad's story um so, you know, was that intentional to, to send that humanizing message? Yeah, that's really the whole message of the play. And I set it up with, you know, just some political banter and somebody with a really bad attitude about politics, trying to get laughs about politics. But underneath it all was a, was a guy whose attitude was formed by his, his loss. Um, and I just sort of saved that part really to, to the very end, you know, how, how do people whose lives are so deeply affected by tragedy, what does it mean to a, 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 someone who's lost their family? The debt is at X number of dollars. Like, why would they care? You know, they, they're dealing with issues that truly affect, truly affect them. <clears throat> well, firstly, I, I think it's um, a huge credit to your writing that people may not realize immediately that, um, 
I mean, I believe this recording of Bugs Bunny clocks in at under 10 minutes. And to take such a turn and to create such an impact, um, it made me emotional. I'm definitely feeling emotional about this election cycle as someone who also never really identified as a political person. Um, but it has definitely put a strain on personal relationships in my life, this, this particular election cycle. Um, so to, to have that turn and to be real and to pack a punch in under 10 minutes um, really takes skill. And so I just firstly want to applaud you on that and to be able to do that. Thank you, thank you. And, and um, I think that the biggest thing that, that you and Chrissy are both hitting on that, that really is also so well-crafted and you use it through this fun metaphor of, of a cartoon, of Bugs Bunny, right. is, is put holding up this illusion, right? A cartoon is actually a, a literal illusion and holding it up and, and shining a huge light on the disillusionment of, of people and, and everyday Americans and saying like these political figures in our lives have become illusions, have become people who are up there reading a script, whether you're on the left or the right, a lot of these political figureheads have become people who are reading a strip, who have become these kind of cartoon ideals in so many of our minds, no matter what you believe in, that it's amazing that we were feeling that two election cycles ago. And this is so much more amplified and relevant now that it, it almost it's like we're coming to a head because you could have written this play last week, that idea of living on a spiral and you can revisit an idea, but from a different plane, from a different place. And that's what this feels like to me that I don't know what that, I guess my question would be, what is that like for you to, to think about where you were two cycles ago and to know, yeah, to where you are now. And, and I, I mean, it's almost like, predicting the future it's just it's a it's listening to it it was just astounding to me how truly relevant so many of those details still are i would say my delusionment has changed um i used to think more that my that it didn't always matter so much who was president um and part of the disillusionment is we could vote for anybody. We could vote for Bugs Bunny, and uh, or, or does it really affect our lives that much? But but now I, the disillusionment comes out of the idea that um, it does affect our lives and it does matter. And Trump isn't on a script, so I've been woken up a little bit to um, the the importance of how who we have in office. Uh, I just watched the uh, a documentary about the White House photographer. Mm. Um, the way I see it, I believe is, it. I yeah. Think so, yes. And he captured um, what uh, Obama was like day to day, every day, whether it's with his children, with his wife, um, with kids who come into um, the Oval Office, um, what he's like out on the road, how he's who he's surrounded with when important decisions are made and you get a real sense of of the man and they were telling this photographer whose name i can't remember but he was telling stories about obama uh, and they were of course showing all these incredible photos about uh what an intelligent uh empathetic uh man he was and of course i hadn't actually got to the end of it because my son keeps interrupting me but but um but I assume they're going to then compare it and contrast with Trump, who is 
none of the things that Obama uh, is and was. And that really has, uh, I never was, a, never liked Donald Trump, never liked, never watched his, his show and whenever, he was always a punchline um, and, and frankly still is a punchline. Um, and uh, you know, I've I've politically woken up a lot, and and who this guy is, and what he represents, and how it matters to this country. Um, I've just I've just changed a little bit. I think if I were to rewrite the play, you know, I'm not sure what I would do to it. I, I mean, I'd have to really consider it, but it would definitely be different. I think it would be different. I mean, I think the idea of disillusionment still resonates, and certainly resonates with me. But my disillusionment is different now. It's a disillusionment about our our country and who we get behind and uh folks that i knew really well who love this man and believe that he's been sent by god and my i become wildly disillusioned um, before it was disillusioned about it didn't really matter so much uh they're all scripted these guys um but but i don't know it seems to matter now and i know to me, white male, you know, I, yes, I've lived a certain kind of life and it matters, of course, to lots of other folks um, as it should. And, and maybe this is what I needed to, to wake me up after all these years. Uh, maybe I'm gonna be a better, I don't know, maybe I'll be a better person. You know, you're, you say you were, you're waking up and, and you said even, you know, the disillusionment from two cycles ago and you're starting to become more politically active if you weren't. Do you think some of that waking up of, of that impetus to even write this play in the start is because you knew Obama, you had a personal relationship? Because for me, the underlying this part of this play and your conversation is, it, it seems like you had some sort of personal like just what brad is craving right like a personal effect on his life you know you had a little bit of a personal insight into this person that perhaps made him less of a figurehead or a cartoon was that it or am i i putting no no that's on? that's definitely a big <laughs> that was definitely a big part of it um just to see um a guy so hated when he what he what we saw on tv and what we know about him and, and how he's projected himself certainly as president since then and even before that is the same guy that i played basketball with um right. you know out on the court this is in the early 90s so I, back then he was just a professor at the university of chicago um everyone just called him the professor mm -hmm. um and he and I sort of gravitated towards each other because, you know, guys on the, well, we played in a gym on the campus, but, but guys who play a lot of basketball, it's not always, it's kind of a rough and tumble, you know, sports, middle-aged men, uh, you know, um, but he, he and I gravitate towards each other because we kind of sort of had the same temperament on the court, believing in uh, keeping your cool, uh, believing in fairness, honesty, um, and these are important things when you're trying to play pickup basketball because it can get out of hand and get crazy. But he was, um, you know, everyone looked up to him partly because he was a, uh, a professor at the university, but, but just the way he carried himself. He never lost his cool. He always played basketball the right way. Really smart guy, really caring guy, empathetic guy. Uh, um, talked to everybody, was not 
abusive or insulting, which sometimes on the court, especially in pickup games, it can get kind of abusive. But he wasn't he wasn't like that at all. And we would just before games or after games, we would just sit and talk about our families. And he was telling me at the time that he was working on what he called his autobiography. And I was like, you're 31 years old or something like that. And um, I said, um, so why are you, why in the, what in the world have you been through that you feel like you need to, so he just started telling me about, you know, his father and his father dying and, and how things changed for him, where he came from and where he is now the, the first African-American of the Harvard Law Review. And, you know, he tells me this and I'm like, uh, you know, and I'm 28 or something like that. And I say, uh, okay, is that a big deal? And he goes, uh, yeah, it was kind of a big deal. Kind of a big deal. <laughs> but, you know, we never talked politics. That was the other thing. Like, never once did we ever talk. And it's not we sat around talking about sports. We just talked about books and what we were reading and our families. Um, yeah, and politics never came up. And uh, when he was became senator, um, I remember I was in my living room in Los Angeles, and he he was delivering a speech. I don't know why we had the TV on, but he was delivering a speech. And I turned to the TV, and I went, "I'm just stunned. This guy was." And I, my honestly, my initial, and this is based on the guy I was before. My initial reaction was, "Oh no, 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 no." don't become a politician, please, God, don't, 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 don't do it, don't, don't, oh, it was, I was kind of disappointed, but, you know, as time went on, when he became president, you know, I was much more, I don't know, proud to know the guy, and proud that he chose the path that he did, you know, always wanted to do the right thing, um, wanting to make a difference. I have not spoken to him, I mean, I had his phone number for a long time, and I thought I, I, I left Chicago and I thought I'd call him and you know I never did and he came through Chapel Hill a couple of times and I thought I'll go see if I can say hello but you know like what am I gonna do like he knows a million people I'm gonna look like the guy hey hey remember me you know I didn't I didn't do that one of the things I find interesting about this piece is I think all of us have had a conversation with either a Brad type person or an Owen type person. Um, if not have been those people ourselves at some point. Uh, were you kind of excited to put this piece out into the world for that reason to sort of give a little bit of awareness to different attitudes and kind of see how people responded? Or were you nervous to put it out there to see what their response would be? No, I wasn't nervous. Um, and I wasn't necessarily trying to put it out there. I don't know, I had, I had something I wanted to say about how I was feeling mm. and how I felt and uh, that's really it. Um, I wasn't nervous about what people would think um, or concerned about the politics of it. Uh, I thought people might laugh, but I thought they would understand that that uh, Brad is who he is because of what's happened to him. And that's pretty much it. You know, your reaction, your initial reaction to uh, Obama getting into politics that, oh no, don't you, you know, that, that feeling, yeah. right? That so many people can relate to that feeling of, we have now become kind of adverse to politicians and a politician has become a dirty word in our country, right? right? And it ruins a person. So I, I think that's just yet another humanizing aspect of this, of, of really cuts to what our current lens is. And I also thought in the play, again, it's almost like, I mean, maybe it's because hindsight's twenty twenty, but this kind of prediction, this 
this prediction of the future you have where you're going, well, people believe he's a Muslim. People believe he's done this. People believe. Right. And, and you kind of bring up the idea that it doesn't matter what the truth is because it matters what people believe. And now to, to be hearing that in this era where if I hear the word fake news one more time, I'm going to lose my mind. Right? <laughs> but it was just astounding to hear that again. And it's it just really brings up this idea of perception versus truth, especially in politics, is just so on the nose. And and the fact that you were you were just feeling that is again, yeah. I just I'm at a loss for words that we were feeling it that then and I just feel like everyone's turned the volume up. Up on that. Definitely. On, on, no, I think Trump's contribution to this country, in my opinion, is it's it's the elimination of of truth, that truth no longer matters. He can turn a, a falsehood into um, mass hysteria or the masses can believe it, whether it's true or not becomes almost irrelevant. I mean, people are, as you know, believing all kinds of conspiracies and he constantly throws things out there that um, just to get people talking or, or to have people believe it, even though he knows it's not true. So yeah, now that the idea of 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 that the truth doesn't matter all that really matters is what people believe um, definitely is, a big part of the which plan. is an interesting theme in art too right like because theater we're asking people to suspend their their idea of truth and and everything and to have this reflected back at us in this play where it's probably one of the most truthful real grounded ones we've had on the podcast yet mm -hmm. It's, you know, we, we just had it last week's episode was all uh, magical realism and about someone's heart exploding because they love too much. So okay. to, to, to like talk about this, where we start with this idea of, of Bugs Bunny being president, but actually illuminating truth is kind of very ironic to, to put this out in theater where we do, you know, make-believe but make but so often I feel like this year more than any other year we've been living in you know an episode of Black Mirror and I think there actually was an episode of Black Mirror where some kind of important figure I don't know if he was a politician or not was actually a, a cartoon that was driven around on a truck with a tv screen or something and I was having flashes. Stole my idea. I, yeah, they, my yeah, idea. It was definitely you definitely wrote this play before that episode <laughs> but you know it's it was that was so again brilliant and yet jarring to me that we are in this art form where we can also kind of wiggle around with truth and yet you're asking us to really confront truth in its truest form here um and i i'm trying to remember why i chose bugs bunny um i felt bugs bunny was um he's not the superhero of cartoons but he has um he's always seemed like he's the winner he's smart and crafty Right, because even when I I think it's Brad who says no one believes Bugs Bunny is an idiot. They go through talking right, about right. everybody. Yeah, and he he's says, smart. And I, and I thought, smart. yeah, no one's ever that. No, yeah, that he's smart. Never thought of <laughs> Bugs Bunny's smart. He's crafty. No, I mean, if Bugs Bunny really were to run, and he were a real rabbit, and rabbits could run, and we lived in a world in which rabbits were as normal as apple pie. I think he gets some votes. I, I really, I, 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 Bugs Bunny running our country. He might be a little bit trigger happy. Have you written any other kind of uh, political or issue-based plays? Not many. Um, 
they started out i wrote a lot of dark like dark like dark mm. human dark of the human soul kind of plays um but then i've gotten brighter as i've gotten older and and um i started writing more about experiences in my own life and i found that whenever i write about my own personal experiences i found that the audiences resonate with them so much better i i did a play uh that premiered this uh, right before COVID hit. Um, and um, it, it dealt with uh, Alzheimer's and a boy with, with autism. And people were sobbing. I mean, like sobbing and desperate to tell me their stories. Mm. Um, last summer, we did a, a workshop of it. And boy, after each performance of the workshop, People were coming up to me, you know, cry, like crying and, 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 and wanting to tell me about their mother or their son or their nephew or their niece or, or someone that they knew uh, who was like the people in that play. And like for me as a playwright, and I know I'm getting off topic here, but, but me as a playwright, I mean, that was, if not the most rewarding experience I've ever had, I mean, certainly top three. To have people be moved and affected um, on a deep personal level, I was like, why, why haven't I been doing this all my life? Why am I telling stories about, you know, witches who live in Half Moon Bay in California? Why am I, why am I writing that story? Um, but the ones that when I, I tell, I, I talk about me and this play really is a reflection of me. Um, so it seems to have, it seems to have affected people. About uh, two characters on the autism spectrum and um, a common theme we're hearing from playwrights is, yeah, the more, and, and John said this in his interview as well, the more you write from your experience and what you know, you know, the more you've endeared yourself to the audience, the more relatable you are. And, and that's the whole purpose of us doing this podcast is learning more about playwrights and their process. And, and really Chrissy loves to say humanizing, right? We like, we love to just really find the relatable parts of it. Um, and that's one thing we're hearing more and more is, is, is sharing. And that's what we want to do as actors. Right. Start share. share yourself. Right. And, yeah. and we really open that up. So um, thank you for sharing that. And yeah. if there's anywhere that any of our listeners can read your other plays. <laughs> well, my website is, is uh, markcornell.net. Uh, the play that I described earlier uh, called On Pine Knoll Street will be published uh, with uh, Dramatist Play Service. Uh, I thought it was going to be this fall, but given what's going on in the world, um, please. Well, maybe we'll get some listeners asking them for it and they'll Pine Knoll eat Street. it up. On Absolutely. Pine Knoll Street. I'm speaking right into the camera. Pine <laughs> Knoll Street. Mark Cornell. What is your favorite word? Charlie. What is your least favorite word? No. What is your favorite app? I'm not a big app person. Uh, I don't know. I'm looking at a calculator right now. I don't know why, as if it's going to give me the answer. Um, <laughs> Probably the, the weather uh, uh, channel app. What is your favorite or most used emoji? I, I, don't, I don't use emojis. What is your favorite board game? My son and I uh, play this um, baseball board game. Um, I don't even know what it's called, baseball. 
All right. So sweet or savory? Uh, sweet. Window or aisle seat? Window or aisle seat. I guess it depends, it depends on who's on the plane with me. If it's my family, the aisle seat. If I'm by myself, it's the window seat. Dolphins or koalas? Probably koalas. Dark chocolate or milk chocolate? Both. Summer or winter? Summer. Name a dessert you don't like. Man, I'm telling you, I love desserts, pies, cakes. Oh, I just love all desserts. I, I, there isn't, I, I rarely ever come across a dessert I don't like. Uh, what is one superpower you wish you had? You say that I've, I've been working on a new play about superpowers. Uh, some kind of intelligence of some kind. Super. Some, some, you know, smart man. What are three things you can't live without? My son, uh, my wife, and my, I have an identical twin brother. My brother, in fact, has shown in an art gallery in Chattanooga. If you had a tattoo, what and where would it be? Or if you have tattoos, please tell us about them. I don't have any tattoos. I have no interest in tattoos. If I had a tattoo, it would probably be the word Charlie and it would probably be uh, probably on my shoulder. Imagine you are stuck on an island and you can pick one food to eat forever without ever getting tired of it. What would you eat? Or sick or anything like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's no. like a magical thing that you can just eat while you're stuck. I on never it. get sick of it. My wife makes this butternut uh, squash um, pasta dish. Mm. with uh with orange peppers it's so good um so i would probably say that because that's that's the kind of meal i always overeat with and i get i get so full i don't feel good and, she, and then she always says things like what is wrong with you just stop when you're full and i said but it tastes so good and i just you know so I'll, i usually eat that till i get sick and she says this is not a compliment this is you're sick well, i'm sorry i just like it so much all right, what is a book or play that you think everyone should read? Oh, um, well, there are many plays, but I'll pick a non-play. I read, um, and I maybe I'm late to the party, but Elizabeth Strout, um, Olive Kitteridge. Oh my God, I loved that book. I was, it's one of those books, and I've only had this experience once or twice, but it's one of those books where you, I didn't want it to end because I knew that that was the only time I was ever going to read it for the first time. It was truly, I was so moved by that, by that book. Um, so I highly recommend that. Okay. If your life were a song, what would the title be? The entirety of my life or my current life? <laughs> Either. Steeler's choice. <laughs> the song title would be Give It Up. If you could master one instrument, what would it be? A guitar. If you could live anywhere else, where would you live? Maine. Right. What is your favorite way to rest or decompress? To write. If you could switch lives with someone for a day, who would it be? I don't know. I, my brother and I talk about this all the, all the time. Is there anybody we'd know we'd want to trade lives with? And absolutely not. I wouldn't want to give it up, give up what I already have. Um, but um, one person to switch, I mean, it would be some playwright, Martin McDonough, maybe. Oh. I'd have to pick the day, though. It can't just be any random day where he goes to the grocery store or whatever. It's got to be like the opening night of a show. What's inspiring you in life right now? I don't know. I mean, I get inspired all the time by people. I often get inspired by people who rescue animals, especially dogs. But I get inspired by people, you know, every day by, I mean, all day long. I mean, I, I mean, there are people, everybody we know is doing something amazing. Okay. What's the best piece of advice you've received? You do it bird by bird.
do it bit by bit. What would you like to be remembered for? Being a good dad. All right, here's your opportunity for a button. Our very last question. Describe yourself in a hashtag. In a hashtag? I never use hashtags. So um, what, what do we do? You do like hashtag tall and bald, something like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, you nailed it. This is Gary. We're going to end our episode this week on a slightly different note. Instead of choosing a prop winner, I'm going to provide two stories from the interview with Mark Cornell that we just couldn't fit in what you heard earlier. Uh, these two stories are important because they show what's truly important at a time like this, which is family. Uh, we here at ETC have been fortunate to keep operating and to include more people into our family through this podcast, be it through the talent, the playwrights, and of course, you, the listeners. So the two stories that follow, I pulled out of the interview from Mark Cornell, and I'm gonna share them with you now. Make your own play about them. Submit it to us later, and maybe we'll put it on the podcast. We know things are tough right now as this country heads into one of the most important elections in our lifetime. We thank you for sticking with us. We're gonna take a break next week and promote each of the episodes, but we have two more episodes to end the season out, and they're both from international playwrights. So we hope that you will, as we finish out this first season of Lights Up. He would be in my body going, yeah. why am I in Chapel Hill, North Carolina? <laughs> Wait, I have a, a follow-up question that we can edit out, but have you and your twin, you said you're identical. Have you, did you guys ever do the switcheroo? Did you like ever go take a math test for him? Cause you were really good at that and he wasn't, or like, did you ever no. do it? Um, no, because tricks and confusion happen all the time anyway. So there was no joy in tricking people because uh, it would happen. It would happen all the time. It still happens. Oh wow! Uh, to this day, we still spook people. I, I did actually play. It, now that I think about it, on a friend of mine just recently played a trick on him, where my brother went into the to his house because I was going over to to visit him to discuss some play thing, and, and I sent my brother in. <laughs> and then I knocked at the door and he opened it and uh, you can edit this out but his reaction was what the fuck oh, like <laughs> oh see I want that to be how like I want that to be happening more often I don't know why I don't have a twin I don't think there needs to be more than one of me in the world I'm already too much but like god wouldn't that be so much fun and just like well it just it happens in the the fun gets overruled by by other things. People asking you questions about have you yeah. ever something? Yeah, yeah. I'm sure the novelty for someone who's not a twin. It's, it it's, I've awful. lived with it my whole life. I don't know what it's like not to be a twin. So you know, I, I can imagine, but you can imagine too what it's like being 
yeah. being being a twin. So no, it's been it's it's honestly it's one of the the great joys of of my life. I always have a buddy, always never alone. We text ten times a day. We call, talk to each other on the phone three four times a day, and we he lives in Florida. I live here. It's, no, it's it's been. Um, I mean, it's a, it's a true gift. Like we all have gifts. That's like the, the biggest gift. Our nose is skill. That's amazing. My my wife recently. So I know I'm being tangential. Whatever, you can cut this out. But she told me the uh, recently because um, I was I I sometimes make movies and and I was looking for someone to play the flute and she and she says well I play the flute. No, I've known her for 23 years. So I said, what, what do you mean you play the flute? I've never seen you play the flute. I've never even seen a flute in your hand before. She goes, yeah, yeah, I play the flute. There's one in the closet in the guest room. I said, what are you talking about? I've never seen a flute in the closet in the guest room. She says, yeah, yeah, there's one in there and I play it. I said, you've never mentioned this. You've never, two decades or more that we've known each other. She goes, yeah, you want to see me play it? I said, yeah. And so she goes in the guest room, she opens it up, she puts it together, and she just starts playing something. I'm just stunned. I was just, st I was stunned. But that was so inspiring to me. Like, like, wow. She learned an instrument without even practicing. It was incredible. Uh, that's a joke. She obviously <laughs> had practiced. She obviously had practiced. But it was really, that was really, uh, besides being stunned, I was really inspired. and and also very attracted to her in that particular moment. <laughs> um, so, but yeah, I, I'm sorry, that's a long answer again. What time is it? I'm keeping you guys here all night long. Lights Up is a podcast produced by the Ensemble Theatre of Chattanooga, a 501c3 nonprofit independent theatre company located in Southeast Tennessee. Lights Up is hosted by Christy Gallo and Dana Colagiovanni. Sound by Eric Red Wyatt. Graphics by Jamie Goodnight. And Casey Keelan as the associate producer. That the truth doesn't matter. All that really matters is what people believe. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, copied, or presented without the expressed written consent of the Ensemble Theater of Chattanooga. The plays presented on this podcast are protected by all national and international copyright laws. If you are interested in producing any of the plays featured on Lights Up, contact us and we will get you in touch with the playwright. If you would like your play considered for a future episode or would like to be an actor or reader, please shoot us a message at lightsup at ensembletheaterofchattanooga.com. As a nonprofit, ETC relies on donations and the goodwill of patrons and supporters like you. If you would like to make a one-time donation to ETC, please visit our website for details. Or you can become a monthly subscriber on Patreon and get access to exclusive content. You can also support us by giving us a like and rating this podcast. Lights Up is hosted by Anchor, a Spotify company. The easiest way to make a podcast.